Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This this World Cup, for a variety of factors, has captured even non-football fans' imagination in a way previous uh, World Cups never have. Yeah. I mean, I I took a very long time due to my sort of laziness to edit the, the previous episode. And I was just listening to uh, how we concluded it. Um, we're talking about like the upcoming England game, and neither of us can remember who we're playing. That was our <laughs> level of like detachment at the time. Oh, now I know who how we're quickly times have changed. I don't know exactly who we're playing next. Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been uh, it's been a great tournament. I almost regret not being more excited, you know, from the beginning. That I didn't really care for a quite a long time. I, I think that's part of it, right? The momentum build. Yeah, I guess so. There's been so many kind of upsets, twists, and turns. Yeah, I feel that's the thing. Like as a non-sports fan, I mean, this is a very reductive way of looking at things. It's like movies have narratives, which I can hook into, but sports you have to just, find your own narrative just somewhere. Random and chaotic, and sometimes the bad guys win, and I don't like that. Yeah, but this time we've got like the sweetest man in the world, Gareth Southgate. He missed the penalty when he was a young man. He's come back. He's like, is this literally the plot of Mighty Ducks? The best film ever made. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they win in that movie. Take us through how the the parallels. Uh, well, in Mighty Ducks, a young Emilio Estevez is like uh, the star player of an ice hockey team, and he misses a crucial penalty. And the guy who coaches him is really mean, and just and he just kind of gives up the sport entirely because he's so uh, crushed. And then he gets like a DUI as a, like a sort of he's, he's joined business corp. He's like helping people is stupid. He has to coach this team of like ragtag working class kids. But he gets into it. And he and, rediscovers. And he has to play the preppy team he used to play for. And the mean coach is still there. And at the end, it goes to penalties. <laughs> and like the sort of young kid who I think he's going out of his mum at this point uh, does get the penalty. So it's, it was like the bloody it's Columbia the same thing. game. Yeah, that is true. That is pretty much so exactly narratively, the same. We're, and we're in like real second act territory, right? We had like... It makes perfect sense, though, that we would struggle past Columbia yeah. in the round of 16... Then you have an easy game through Sweden because yeah. you can't have, you know, a climax every second exactly. in your movie. So, and then like, so how would it work? How would you have the, the Croatia game go down? It's got to, well, we can't, we obviously can't lose. So it just has to be equally Do you tough. think it should be another smooth one or like, because obviously the final will be the real climax where it's like goes down to penalties or whatever, or it's, there's a last minute goal. No, this is like, maybe we're in the montage bit of the movie. I don't know. Yeah. Because we're, we're also a bit like Muddy Ducks 2, <laughs> where... <laughs> they go in, they have like loads of easy wins at the beginning. So we had like the Panama win and they get a bit hubris. Yeah. And then they have like a harder time in the second sort of phase of the game. Have a defeat, which we've had. Narratively, this is all working out for a victory. It is. Yeah. It's definitely bending that way. It's heading towards it's coming home. I'd so say. if the World Cup is as well written 
as the Mighty Ducks franchise, mm. uh, it's coming home. What is the ceiling on your level of football patriotism? Like, as we advance in the tournament, how how high is it going to get? Like, at what point will it kind of top out and it's just not going to go any further? Uh, what do you mean, like, paying my face? Yeah, like, how far are you going to go? I'm definitely going to watch them, the games. <laughs> <laughs> any, will you do any face painting? Will you buy the shirts that's got all the t- that's got the name on it? So I'm gonna England. wear start wearing a waistcoat in honor of Southgate, dressed like Gaza. Yeah, to combine your love of uh, queer eye and looking like a sharp young uh, gent. I did see some tweets like I'm wearing three lines on a shirt, but with the sleeve rolled up and a French tuck to give me. Some <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll do that. Very nice. Yourself, what are you gonna do? Um, I'm going the whole hog myself. Yeah. yeah, I'm buying a sort of Crusader's shield that's like <laughs> three quarters the length of my body uh, and a sort of like a javelin or something, <laughs> like a jousting pole. Javelin? <laughs> not a javelin. That's not very, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, I'm dressing like a medieval knight, basically. That's how I'm going to be, uh, that's how I'm going to look. <laughs> no, please just, just get a javelin as well. That'd be quite funny. Just got a massive shield and a javelin, you know. In honor of my favorite English sportsman, the, that javelin man. Oh, the javelin man. You know, you know the one we had a javelin guy back in the day, didn't we? The guy who did the javelin. I don't remember who he was, but yeah, the javelin guy, javelin man. That was his sporting nickname. Yeah, that's uh, Richie Ayoade's new football <laughs> show, isn't it? Anyway, Annie, I know that we're talking in a very detailed, knowledgeable way about sports. So anyone listening would assume that was the main. Uh, thing that we're interested in but why don't you explain what this podcast is really certainly, about certainly certainly so film chat uh, is set in the not too distant future where corporations control nearly every aspect of human life a man named sam foster is involved in a car accident that claims the life of his wife and their unborn child sam has severe brain damage but the hope corporation agrees to implant a chip into his brain to save his life he discovers that this chip also constantly sends him advertisements until either the person obtains the product or they go insane. While trying to figure out why they did this to them and who he is, he finds out that the chip is a test product with a failsafe that could kill him. He succumbs to the effects, but the corporation fears that their test might be discovered, and so they decide to activate the failsafe just before it goes off. A group of underground hackers, led by Hal and Keyboard, those are two characters, hack into the chip and save his life. After using the chip to guide him away from a team of Hope Corp agents, they agree to try to help him remember who he is in exchange for assisting them in their fight against Hope Corp. They show him that his accident was no accident, but actually planned by Hope Corp, so they could use him as a test subject. He agrees to help, but he is captured during the attempt and taken to a facility controlled by Hope Corp. Sam, with the help of two hackers called Punk Red and Punk Blue, managed to fight his way to the leader of the project, Danny Moran. Danny is killed after a short confrontation and Sam escapes. He meets up with Punk Red and Punk Blue, the only remaining members of the underground group. Together, they vow to continue the fight against Hope Corp. And <laughs> is what I would be saying. This was a adaptation of the film Hardwired, starring Cuba Gooding Jr. and Val Kilmer. That was just the Wikipedia When entry. did this movie come out? Like mid-noughties. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and join me, a man who would stop at nothing to avenge the deaths of his wife and child, Sam Foster. Hello, hello. On this week's episode, I review Sicario 2, Soldado, a film whose title literally translates to Hitman 2, Soldier, and which was marketed with the tagline, Some missions need a hitman, others need a soldier. This is strange because there are no hitmen or soldiers in the film. What is that about? Then Danny gives his take on the fashion documentary McQueen, which was marketed with the tagline, 
the fearless, rebellious, and extraordinary life of Alexander McQueen. Very odd, because Alexander McQueen does not feature in the film. Danny may also tell us what he makes of the indie sci-fi drama The Endless, which was marketed with the tagline, Time is a prison. This is difficult to explain from the film's content, because it is made explicitly clear from the plot and dialogue that time is not a prison. We also give three cheers to the world's second best satirist, after Jonathan Pye, of course, Sasha Baron Cohen, who is gearing up to absolutely destroy the famously vulnerable to satire Donald Trump. President, that's in quotes, uh, Trump, cannot handle being mocked, and the first time anyone makes fun of him, I just know that he will be impeached. It's, it's inevitable. Bring it on, Sasha. You're going to destroy Trump. Thanks, Sasha. Make him the president, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, game on. Game on. Uh, and we also will be dipping our toes ill-advisedly into the controversy surrounding Scarlett Johansson's casting in a film about a trans man. All that should leave just enough time for me to announce my latest film, a patriotic yet progressive sports drama entitled 3U Lions. 3U, as in EU. Nice. Uh, in which a group of steadfast, salt-of-the-earth lads who all voted Brexit because they had been told misleading statistics about the impact of migration on wages travel to support England in the World Cup. After bonding with people from all around the world over their shared love of the beautiful game, the lads start to wonder whether Britain's financial contribution to the EU might be offset by the gains it receives from economic integration with the continent. As England's racially diverse and studiously polite team progresses into the semi-finals, the well-meaning, if poorly educated footy fans, who are all white obviously, grow to understand that we will never build Jerusalem in this green and pleasant land without continued membership of the single market and the customs union. In the World Cup final, England v Russia, they hold up a giant sign in the crowd that says, hashtag people's vote, hashtag FBPE, hashtag WATON. In the dying minutes of the game, the ball somehow bounces off the sign uh, into the goal. It's, it's like, that's legal. Like the sign is leaning over the pitch yeah. or something like that. <laughs> uh, winning the game and the tournament for England, despite like some cheating by Putin. You know, they're all poisoned yeah. with Novichok or something and the, the, the players are dying on the field. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, then this is so exciting the Prime Minister immediately declares a public holiday for everyone and Brexit is cancelled yes it's going to be it's going to be great this 48 presenter is on board (laughs) awesome films 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 lots of films 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 he's good films bad films fun films sad films films we love Regular correspondent Andy Poole got in touch to link us to an interesting article from The Guardian all about Donald Trump and David Lynch. So basically the story here is that The Guardian interviewed David Lynch about his various projects post the success of Twin Peaks Season 3. And obviously you have to ask everyone about Trump all the time. How can you not? And he said he was undecided about Donald Trump. Quote is, he could go down as one of the greatest presidents in history because he's disrupted the thing so much. No one is able to counter this guy in an intelligent way. And then he later says that he doesn't think Trump is really doing a good job, but it says he's opening up a space where other outsiders might. 
the quote is our so-called leaders can't take the country forward can't get anything done like children they are trump has shown all this but then trump clearly just getting all the sort of clickbaity headlines were like lynch likes trump decided to quote this at a rally and said his career you know oh his career in hollywood is over uh, which prompted Lynch to respond saying, like, I don't actually support you. And was, he was down on record as a Bernie Sanders supporter. And then later, I think he voted for Gary Johnson, the, the weird libertarian guy. Oh, shit. Did he really? Yeah. Wow. But I think Lynch is that's a perfectly valid point. He has exposed things in kind of interesting way. Like, that's the one upside to his presidency, surely. Like, yeah. Well, he's made a complete joke of the office of president and the institutions of the American state. And yeah. uh, there are some upsides to doing that. Well, I remember when the Me Too scandal started breaking, you made very smart points. Oh, thank you. Very intelligent point. <laughs> that being a sexual harasser is a bit like, like being Trump. And like he was such, he's such a lie in the sand. And so much of these Me Too um, stories have come about when people call out Trump on something. And someone's like, you did the same thing to me. And right, so he yeah. has kind of exposed, not to say... That's much. He he is responsible. He is the poster boy for the Nietzsche movement. <laughs> Him and but, Woody Allen. But there's definitely a connection there in the sort of the moral outrage he has generated by being so disgusting. In order for people to be consistent, <laughs> they must also condemn other people yeah, in public exactly. life. Yeah, I think there's a, a kind of a link there. Yeah, well, it's obvious that you know Lynch was trying to make like he's clearly an eccentric guy, but he was yeah, trying yeah. to make some kind of relatively nuanced point about you know politics being this like distant kind of closed up world where everyone kind of knows each other and you know you have to be part of this system to succeed in it and donald trump has completely blown that apart and in general all else being equal you would want you know a political system which is more open to challenge from people who don't have the backing of these like decaying decadent establishments so you know fine yeah all well and good i mean it's not like he's some sort of perfect political guy but it doesn't seem like a completely objectionable uh sentiment at least yeah absolutely i guess that's the idea of like bernie could have won is like on paper like he isn't an outsider and you know if the evil person wins the system can allow a good person person to win win. yeah uh i do like the fact that donald trump is using like the name of david lynch as well support him as they like he's you know the (laughs) favorite director of uh, uh, his base yeah (laughs) they're huge they loved fucking twin peaks return second best film of the year as far as trump's base is concerned (laughs) I hope that there's going to be a Trump-esque character. I feel like Trump would fit relatively well into a sort of Lynch's world. He's this just kind sort of like you know, Americana, g- grotesque, kind you know, of like... snake oil salesman type. Yeah, exactly. Imagine pulling up in a diner and, you know, <laughs> doing something <laughs> fucking mental, whatever happens in the David Lynch movie. Yeah, completely. But he's the one filmmaker who I do want to see his take on Donald Trump. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print Talking of President Numpty As I like to call him Drump Drumpty uh, Drump Yeah Yeah, um, he has had there's another kind of interaction between a film guy and Donald Trump. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen posted on Twitter a message from your president at real Donald Trump on Independence Day. He posted this on Independence Day and it is a video. Um, uh, it's a video featuring archive footage of Donald Trump from before he was a president blasting Cohen's undercover comedy stylings in which the then reality star advised him to, quote, go back to school. Learn about being funny. 
and the video promises title cards in the video promises uh, Cohen's back as you've never seen him before ending with the promise that Sasha graduates soon and it caps it off with the Trump University crest whoa here is the clip in its entirety as it's quite short this third character named Sasha Baron Cohen I only wish that you would have been punched in the face so many times right now I'd be in a hospital it was disgraceful. He ought to be fired immediately. Sasha Baron Cohn, go to school. Learn about being funny. You don't know. Oh, what do you think he's going to do? Is he going to like enroll at Trump school and like expose the school for being bad or something? Uh, maybe, I guess. Is he going to say... It sounds like he's going to make a film which is taking on Trump. I guess he's not going to play Trump. In it? No. Johnny Depp already did that in the Adam McKay Funny or Die movie. Uh, so maybe he's going to be just like a dumbass. Yeah. Like Republican or something. And he's going to go to Trump U and then just, you know, show up the hypocrisies of the idiots at the stupid university. Oh, nice. Something like that. <laughs> oh, man. It's probably going to nail the current political situation in America. You know, you know how many presidents have been brought down by one devastating own? <laughs> so many. <laughs> Nixon. Clinton. I always think it's a thing. I always think it's a thing. That's a good way of starting this uh, point I'm making here, <laughs> where people oversell and undersell the power of like films. I think they are important and very influential, but I don't think like there is no like one fell swoop of a movie that can you know really cause huge political change. Yeah, I think that like issue based filmmaking that sets out to move the dial on uh, specific things or like stuff that is kind of a form of political campaigning you know, is great. Yeah. But I think this kind of um, you're so dumb uh, style comedy is more about self-aggrandizement than anything else. Yeah. Uh, What's the specific goal? What is it? Like, you know, Trump is stupid. Like, everyone's saying that all the time, 24-7. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the message is out, you know? Yeah. I was reading, I've been reading this book, uh, Joe Kennedy's Authenticrats, which I highly recommend, subtitled culture politics and the new seriousness which covers a lot of different bases about like a current cultural moment that we find ourselves in which he kind of traces a lot like in a way a lot back to the 90s and uh, i recommend checking out but like one of the points that he makes which i'm probably going to now mangle somewhat um is uh he's talking about the sort of form of current comedy uh which he sort of looks back to the 90s for um and it's basically like this kind of culture of a time in which um the uh, Tories were widely seen to be like a joke like they've been in power for a long time and then they had all the sleaze and stuff and they had all the, these scandals and there was just this huge momentum that was uh, swinging behind Labour and everyone was just laughing at the Tories and it was just like embarrassing to be a Tory and like that was the kind of basis for like uh, left-wing political humour you yeah. know um, and that that's kind of like uh, set, like fossilised or set into this whole attitude basically towards politics which is like um, or like political jokes which is not really to uh, have that much of a position yourself but just simply to be like look at that it's so dumb and you're just kind of positioning uh, yourself as the just the voice of kind of common sense or it's just obvious you know everything yeah, is just yeah. obvious it's like no nah, look at this it's just you, you're an idiot if you would ever think something else which is the kind of Jonathan Pye like the way that you know his yeah, yeah. whole shtick you know or like Bill Maher um, or the They're Daily Show, or whatever. It's just the same kind of thing. You never have to make a case for anything that you positively believe. It's just like, you're stupid. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you're saying that to like right wing people, then that's just burnishing your own progressive credentials. You know, 
because you're obviously right on if you've you know it's just you know how stupid they all are and i'm obviously smarter than you uh, so this sounds like another entry in that venerable uh tradition of comedy also i don't think i wouldn't really describe sasha baron Cohen as like uh, as a satirist really i think that's almost something that's been retconned onto his stuff I think his his motivation for Borat was like, I want to do a funny accent and have a stupid haircut. Yeah. It was never supposed to be some sort of like brilliant satirical thing that's going to expose the hypocrisy of everyone he encounters. <laughs> it's just to make people feel uncomfortable and like have a few stupid jokes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely it. So I don't know. I wouldn't trust him to. I'm not trust him. I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't trust him. First of all, I don't trust the man. I don't trust his motives. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a bit underhand. I mean, he's always pretending to be someone else. That's yeah. pretty untrustworthy. Pretty untrustworthy behavior. Yeah. Um, However, that um, elephant bukkake scene in Grimsby was one of the scenes of the year when yeah. the movie came out. Where so... he climbs inside an elephant's vagina. Yeah. Uh, and then gets fucked by a massive elephant and has to like, jerk off a big elephant's dick and gets like, sprayed with an like, elephant cut. <laughs> one of the scenes of the year. So if the movie is I don't good know how Trump survived scene... that scene, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, if he crawls inside like... Donald Trump's like vagina and then uh, gets fucked by good. an elephant or something. That would be satire. That's satire. And it gets fucked by Stormy Daniels. Yeah. Inside Trump's vagina. Yeah. <laughs> With a strap on? With a strap on? Okay. Keep it going. Now we've got something here. And he's got to jerk off the strap on. It's got it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's just not a dick. Yeah, it's not a dick. Yeah. Um, and then it just has to give up. <laughs> up. Yeah. Okay, cool. Brilliant. There's a bit in the, there's an Almodovar movie where someone crawls inside a vagina in like a dream. Oh, cool. Um, struggling to remember the name of it, but there's this, yeah, what the fuck is it? It's like a film within a film. No, it's not a dream. All right. I've got to get my Almodovar facts straight. This is not a dream. There's a movie within the movie, uh, which is like a surrealist kind of Bunuel-esque thing where um, someone, like a tiny, like someone gets shrunk down to this sort of tiny man and then he ends up. Uh, crawling inside a giant vagina and like you know wandering wow. around in there and i hope that sasha baron cohen's film is a lot like that but except the woman who's normal size is actually donald trump and he is the guy who gets shrunk down to like two <laughs> inches high and then crawls inside his vagina yeah he can't even grab his own pussy because he's too small <laughs> <laughs> no that's satire yeah the the pussy i grab your pussy <laughs> Uh, it's hopeless it's, yeah whatever it whatever would, you know it'd probably be better than whatever he comes up with let's be honest yeah yeah ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Who's your favorite Marvel character, Sam? Is it Black Widow? Yeah. Well, you're going to be disappointed by this new story. Oh, no. So, what? Scarlett Johansson, very good actress. I guess. Now most famous playing Black Widow, or you know, blockbuster fans. That's her most. Just I would say so. Times. Yeah, um, she has caught a little controversy recently because it was announced that she was going to be playing the role of Dante Tex Gill in the upcoming film Rub and Tug, and fans were quick to point out that Gill seemed to have lived his life as a transgender man, not a cisgender woman like Johansson. 
And when asked for comment on the sort of backlash, Johansson's rep provided this statement from the actress herself, tell them that they can be directed to Jeffrey Tambor, Jared Leto, and Felicity Huffman's reps for comments. As they've all played transgender individuals. They've all played uh, transgendered people, exactly. And for a bit of background about the story, Rob and Tug is going to be directed by Rupert Sanders, who previously collaborated with ScarJo on uh, 2017's Ghost in the Shell, best film of that year. She also had his own fair share of controversy because of the whitewashing scandal, because it was an Asian character, and Scarlett Hansen is not Asian. Asian. Or a trans man. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> I love the challenge. Um, and it's based on a true story about the owner of a massage parlor, hence the rubbing and tugging, which served as a front for prostitution. But Gil apparently did not identify as a cis woman and lived his life as a trans man. So... It's just, uh, it's not good, Scarger. That's a bad, bad way to tackle uh, that kind of backlash. Yeah. I mean, I think that in a way she has identified the fact that uh, this has become obviously more of an issue in a relatively short space of time. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely. a few years ago. People were not really saying this at all about Dallas Buyers Club, for example. Sure. Or, uh, and that was Danish that, girl. And that was a true story. Yeah, that was a true story as well. Yeah. I think, well, I think he got it a bit for the Danish girls in yeah. Redmayne. Yeah, I think we said this before. Is the minority the won't take a role? From. Yes, exactly. But it is, the, it is the same. It is the same kind of thing. And like, yeah, these stories do come up occasionally. I think we have discussed the same same kind of thing before. But well, yeah. um, not to, it's not at all the same. But this is a good way to start something. It's not at all the same. But it's like this. Well, like in the same way that uh, Trump is a bit of a line in the sand. I feel like trans issues have become a, a good way to sort of sort out the woke from the performative <laughs> you know it seems like most people are like oh i'm not homophobic you know i'm not racist like trans people and then suddenly they there's some it's, it's yeah people got stumbling like people you formerly thought were cool i think it's like i think like i mean i'm not i'm not an expert on these matters whatsoever so i you know want to speak with caution about anything to do like transgender stuff i do feel like in in the way of what you were saying about how culture feels generally progressive or people feel generally yeah. left-wing or whatever um, and I think a lot of people uh, who, you know, consider themselves liberal or progressive or left wing kind of, you know, will coast along the fact that they know that in general they are with, you know, whatever people will uh, identify as like the most progressive positions like, you know, being pro LGBT, being anti-racist and so on and so forth. And what we've seen recently in the last few years, certainly over the last 10 years or so, I think like. Um, gay rights is something that seems to have like come on very suddenly and become incredibly mainstream you know in a way that it wasn't as much before you know with the conservative government passing gay marriage and stuff which is something which was you know would have been hard to imagine um, even like quite recently and the trans issue feels like something where um, another kind of topic where things are moving forward but it's like happening quite rapidly and it's leaving some people taking some people a bit like by surprise yeah because it's forcing people to confront issues that they had not really actually considered before and you just sort of rely on your own kind of natural instincts to guide you towards what is the most progressive or correct position and when there are really really fierce debates going on uh, within the left or within people who identify as being the left over it um, and strong arguments and basically like people who are saying you know you, you're actually a bigot you know for thinking this like there are the people who are being called a bigot over being transphobic are not at all used to having those types of like accusations thrown at them yeah which isn't to say they're unjustified at all because they might well be but it's just it, it that feels like the type of moment that we're having you know where maybe in like five years from now the dial will have moved and the, there will be a general consensus around gender that's like uh, more progressive than the one that we have now but 
I think it's encouraging in a way, like, you know, because it is making people sort of wake up and, like, tackle these yeah. things. So I think it's, you know, it's basically, so to, to tie back into Sky Hansen, it's like, clearly is a good thing that, that we're, you know, that, that she's being confronted over this. And there was a, a message, I don't have this in front of me now, but, like, the, the, the woman who's the director of uh, uh, Transparent or the creator of that television show has now said, like, if she was doing it again, uh, she would never um, cast uh, a man in that role. That you should just cast a transgender woman. <laughs> I would unqu- unequivocally say it's absolutely unacceptable to just cast a cis man in the role of a trans woman, ever. Now, that sounds ironic coming out of my mouth, but <laughs> at this point, I would throw that down as an absolute. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, there's a couple I of... I guess in the five years of her making that show, she's... She's become know... a lot more progressive about yeah. this issue that she made the show about. You watch later seasons, and they're really condemnatory of the first season of Transparent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think, like... There's there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, I think just having people like Hollywood actors, like cisgender actors, play trans people kind of plays into the idea that trans is just drag. You know, it makes it look like that. Like you just kind of dress up as the other gender and you you know change your voice and the way you act a bit. Extreme acting. Yeah, it's just kind of yeah, exactly like an extreme acting performance. And like underneath, you're still really a man or you're still really a woman, but you're kind of convincingly pretending to be something else and everyone in order to be polite everyone just has to you know accept whatever you're pretending to be uh which is not what it is and that's like i feel like it in in, you know in uh increases that um that it pushes that notion um and the other thing is just the general distastefulness of minority roles being a kind of acting challenge for prominent actors obviously it helps the movies because it helps them sell them to have these marquee marquee names on it but it's just like really irritating that the sort of richest and most famous people who are you know are already very prominent and successful have to take these roles away from you know like the actual minorities in order to sell a movie about how you can identify with the minority position it's like a bit gross Um, yeah it's very odd i'm pretty sure there's a um I don't know if it's a law, but if you have a disabled extra, they have to actually be disabled. Like that's actually, especially in, what in was Britain. That? What was that thing that the actors were signing up to recently? Inclusion rider. The inclusion rider, yeah. Where that's all about um, diversity being represented. But they should the have that rider, but it should be more like, my rider for being in this film is that I'm not in this film and you cast someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My rider for being in this film is that I will be the extra and you will cast the this sort of diverse person who would have been the extra as the actual main role of the film. Get the woman who is in like a fantastic woman or something, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. an actual transgender actor. Um, I think my here's my solution to this. Uh, my blanket solution it. to this problem is to simply ban prosthetics for any role that is not like an alien or like a fantasy creature or something. Yeah. You should not be allowed to wear prosthetics to simply look like another human you know if there's a if there's a person out there who looks like that anyway without the prosthetics you should find and cast them and i think that would cut down on both the diversity issue and the fucking ego factor you know the maximum you should be allowed to transform is like a wig and makeup and not even that much makeup like a bit a bit but like not a lot you know just a sort of touch of like foundation or something (laughs) just the normal amount and uh, i think that would you know i think that would go a long way to, to to solving this well, problem solved. Problem Thanks, solved. Sam. And that Thanks concludes our section Problem Solved. <laughs> and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask we poor? Out of Danny for the judgment, we're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. 
So, McQueen. This is the documentary about Lee Alexander McQueen, the influential British fashion designer who caused quite a stir in the 90s and then committed suicide uh, eight years ago when he was like 40. Before his time. It is directed by Peter Etagu and Ian Bonhut. They sound like people who would be involved in fashion. They've got very cool, arty-sounding names. <laughs> and the structure of the documentary is it focuses on about five or six key fashion collections he did with the idea being that his work was so personal and autobiographical that like little segments into his life and it's kind of structured in this way where it's the fashion show and a selection of talking heads talking about where he was in his life and how that impacted his work uh, and so on and so forth. There is no clip available. So just imagine some great, awesome clothes. <laughs> he was very good. So... Just Google some clothes while you're listening to this review. Exactly. He is a fascinating person, and I feel like the documentary could be half as well made, and it would still be good because he's just a really interesting subject, and his work is brilliant, and his career trajectory is so quick and kind of unique to the fashion world. And what's interesting about the world of fashion is that it's kind of similar to movies, I guess, and there's this intersection between art and commerce, which uh, is quite a fertile ground for like interesting things to happen yeah that's, that's not too big way of putting it and in no other industry would a 27 year old be put in charge of a major corporate brand uh i've you put it a good way when we're talking about this it's like some sort of genius young auteur being in charge of disney suddenly like there's no other equivalent to that happening yeah and because he was so young and he had this astronomical success it's a very uh, interesting story there's a lot of stuff you know to cover um and I think what was attractive about him and what was what set him apart from the scene is that he was very different to your idea of a fashion designer. He was this very sort of down-to-earth, working-class, unassuming guy. And I think the fashion world at the time was a bit more conservative and a bit more pretty. And he kind of came in and with this very sort of violent, strange style, which was completely on anything like anyone was doing. And the film does kind of document that in quite a interesting way and it's also quite an amusing film like the fashion world is full of like eccentric characters and uh it's quite funny juxtaposing him as this quite down-to-earth just normal guy and a lot of the people in the movie are like straight out of zoolander like the woman who discovered him isabel blow when she's first introduced she's like um you just hear her the first half of this interview and it cuts to her and she's got this like insanely large red hat on and it's just laugh out loud funny it's like fashion is just stupid sometimes (laughs) and there's something about the clash of the kind of absurd theatricality of the fashion world and but also how weirdly rooted in his own personal life it is um if there's a flaw to that kind of stuff is that it doesn't fully contextualize how different his stuff was and even though i'm a bit of a fashion ignoramus but so much of my idea of what a fashion show is or like you know my idea of what a crazy fashion show is is basically an alexander mcqueen show it's like um you know in zoolander where he's got that whole idea of like derelict the kind of like tramp fashion that's like a piss take of an alexander mcqueen show right but that itself was very different to what came before it and i don't think it, even though all the talking heads are saying it was phenomenal it was like nothing anyone had seen i, I don't think it quite contextualizes his work yeah um, yeah so that was i think a missed opportunity by the filmmakers and i think it is a little bit at times a bit of a film wikipedia page it's a bit shallow in that it kind of brushes past big things in his life like he had a cocaine problem 
and he his appearance changed very much and like when he became famous he used to be this quite kind of chubby guy and then he like had liposuctions and came kind of heroin chic you need to look like a model to, yeah. to dress a model exactly and there's a reference to him being abused which is sort of kind of skimmed over and then also uh he did take his own life and then it's just like a sort of one title card where it's like on this day Alexander mcqueen took his own life it's like okay well you know there was obviously a lot of stuff just gonna leave that there are we well he's kind of funny because he's like so many it's like ian curtis or amy winehouse where you like listen to their lyrics and it's like oh that person killed themselves where like all his fashion shows for like violent imagery and death and stuff is like okay thematically it makes sense <laughs> that this man took his own life but there's obviously a lot more to unpack there yeah and um i think basically i was entertained but i am maybe the right audience for this kind of movie in that i sort of was aware of the name and a kind of bit of his story in that he was you know this kid from the east end who got an apprenticeship at savile row and then somehow became head of galanchi by in like within five years and so all the information was new to me, but I think if you're an Alexander McQueen fan, it might feel a bit perfunctory. And this might be an unfair comparison, but I'm going to make it, which is after seeing like Senna and Amy, which are also films about people who die before their time constructed from archive material and talking heads. I'm like, I really wish Asif Kapadia had made this film. Cause I feel like he can really, he really like nails this genre of documentary more than anyone. Yeah. And these people are a bit too much of a, it's a bit more like a celebration of his work than the man, I would say. But worth seeing if, like me, you don't really know much about him. Andrew Haig, the director of Lean on Pete and 45 Years, is going to make a film about him, a fiction film with Jack O'Connell. That sounds great. So Look I'm looking forward to, forward to that. But this documentary is pretty good, I think, if you don't know much about him, <laughs> which I didn't. It'll be on like BBC4 next week. Watch it or don't. Whatever. 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 My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Okay, Sicario 2, released as Sicario 2 Soldado, or maybe just Sicario Soldado. And somewhere it says Sicario Day of the Soldado. A film of many titles. Uh, this is the sequel to uh, Sicario, which came out in 2015. It was directed by Denis Villeneuve and written by Taylor Sheridan. The writer returns for the sequel, but Denis Villeneuve has been replaced by Stefano Solima, an Italian director who has previously made a film called ACAB, All Cops Are Bastards, and he also directed the Gamora television series about an Italian crime family. Okay. Seems like a good fit. Yeah, so they found the crimey guy who's crimey like... masculine dude. You could kind of call this movie All Soldiers Are Bastards, you know? So yeah, I yeah. imagine that's how they kind of fit in. So uh, this is sort of a standalone story. Emily Blunt does not return from uh, Sicario. She was the main character of that film. Uh, but we do have the hard-as-nails, amoral, shithead FBI man, uh, Josh Brolin, who's like the kind of personification of uh, cruel U.S. imperialism, I guess. Um, and Benicio del Toro, his friend, who's this sort of uh, me- embittered Mexican uh, ex-attorney, now hitman. And they are joined uh, by Catherine Keener and Matthew Modine, who turn up as more sort of like, you know, US official type people. Uh, and the story involves an escalation of um, the US uh, efforts to combat the drug cartels and control the US-Mexico border. Here is a wordless clip of some sort of cars driving, and then there's like a big noise at the end. Prize. 
Roger. Price is in the tail vehicle. Hopefully that gives you a sense of how incredibly exciting this film is. So when the trailer for this movie came out, it looked a little bit like a fan film that had been made by someone who was like really into the original Sicario, but for like the wrong reasons, basically. Uh, the first Sicario was a, a film clearly very heavily influenced by No Country for Old Men, but trying to make some kind of commentary about how the uh, American interventions in uh, Mexico uh, constitute essentially like just another form of gang warfare. Um, and that it's this uh, group of guys who just perpetuate violence essentially for its own sake and this endless power struggle and they're totally amoral uh, with Emily Blunt as the moral heart of the film like sort of thrust into this brutal world that she doesn't fully understand uh, but it was also just kind of a cool movie about guys with big muscles and big guns doing cool shit with uh, very loud sound effects and extremely stylish uh, directing from uh, Denis Villeneuve and uh, the, the trailer for the sequel looked like it was very much leaning on the second aspect of it, <laughs> you know, uh, with the uh, moral center of the previous film removed and just these the kind of a total bastard characters just doing like badass shit um, and spitting out ridiculous cliches uh, about going to war against everyone. And uh, it was like, if you want to see this thing through, I'm going to have to get dirty uh, and things like that. <laughs> Uh, so it looked very silly, um, and I went to see this film the other day with relatively low expectations. I kind of enjoyed it. I think it's kind of fun. It is quite a dumb film, I think, and it does suffer somewhat from doing a bit of like uh, karaoke of the original Sicario uh, in that there's this sort of throbbing kind of like electronic score thing that's sort of informing you at all times that this is both very important and sort of very dangerous and like deadly <laughs> Like, it's not just some kind of dumb action film. It's not a Michael Bay movie. This is, like, meaningful violence. This is, like, violence that's, like, telling you something. But it happens a lot. Uh, and for the first half of the film, it just seems, like, a bit excessively stupid, basically. It's kind of montage-y. It, the setup takes much too long, and it skips through, like, loads of different scenes, and it's not completely clear how they get, like, together. Like, the pacing is a bit off, but a bunch of, like, awful violence happens. It's like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brolin's character is reintroduced, like, torturing some guy in a shipping container um, in a scene. It looks like it was, like, it's just, like, a really relevant denunciation of the Bush administration from, like, 2004. <laughs> um, then there's, like, some kind of stuff about domestic terrorism that is sort of vaguely alluded to. And it's just all, you know, irritating, basically. Kind of is, like you know like sixth form uh projects that are trying to talk about you know big themes or something yeah. but uh don't really know how to it feels a bit like that i think this is also a bit of an issue with taylor sheridan generally like his movies are always trying to like say something about america but he i just don't think that he really knows what he's talking about <laughs> it's just this like constant efforts to reach for things uh which come off more like pastiches of people who actually do know what they want to say uh in sicario it was like yeah the coen brothers like no country all men is such a strong influence on the movie it's like 
you know like sort of amorality in the way that like systems have broken down you know like that yeah. you know that tommy lee jones speech at the end of the movie where he's like you know i used to be a sheriff who understood things or whatever and now i don't i don't remember the exact words that's <laughs> paraphrasing uh, but it looked like you know he took that to heart and also wanted to craft like cool action sequences um but in the second half of the film it kind of narrows it down a little bit I mean, it sets up its stakes and then uh plays out some very well executed sequences that are just a bit more concrete the commentary of the film fades away and you're just dealing with like quite a well-made action movie uh with some quite strong performances i know benicio del toro is verging on being a parody of himself at times but I thought he was really, really excellent in this film, particularly in the latter half where he gets a bit more to do. And it skirts a few uh, ridiculous cliches involving embittered guys, you know, rediscovering that they really have feelings thanks what? to encountering a child, you know, and things like that. But I felt like it didn't lean like overly heavily into it. Uh, it's still like ultra macho. There's uh, it's like basically one woman in the movie. Well, it's Catherine Keener is in the film as one of the behind the scenes people who doesn't really have that much to do. The main female character is this young Mexican girl uh, who gets caught up in events and she probably has about five lines and no agency whatsoever. It's like, of course. But, you know, just on the level of sort of mechanically well-executed um, little, like, twisty thriller thing, it, it's just about delivers, I think, by the end. Uh, and then it has, like, a dumbass sequel-baiting, like, final scene, which irritated me a lot, but... We have to go to even more dirtier places. More <laughs> break, any, break even more rules. Yeah, we that was kill the queen. <laughs> I don't know how that impacts things, but uh, yeah, I really hate that because it just gives you the impression that the entire film was just a preamble to the real fucking film. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then it's like, well, once I, once I watched all this, I could just read it and then you know wait until you'd made the next one. Um, but yeah, so I would say that if you're in the mood for this kind of film, like a really pretty humorless ultra gritty uh but relatively well-made uh action thriller then go for it if you if you want to learn about um america's war on drugs and what they're the country like how the country is exacerbating the gang warfare in mexico i would suggest go somewhere else what's, what's that movie cartel land, cartel land yeah. yeah that's, that's a documentary good. that's quite good well i'm sure there's many other good you know sources to go to for info on that okay okay So I saw a film with one or two jokes in it, <laughs> but it's mainly focused on dudes. Uh, it's called The Endless. It's directed, starring, catering, cinematography, editing, all done by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. They are this filmmaking duo who previously made the film Resolution, which I haven't seen. And the film Spring, which I have seen, and is very good and worth watching. And the concept is they play two brothers who receive a cryptic video message inspiring them to revisit the UFO death cult they escaped a decade earlier. And hoping to find the closure they couldn't find as young men, they're forced to reconsider the cult's beliefs when confronted with unexplainable phenomena surrounding the camp. And all the members are preparing for a coming mysterious event called the Ascension and the brothers race to unravel the seemingly impossible truth before their lives become permanently entangled with the cult. Here is a clip of one of the brothers talking to one of the creepy cult guys, and he looks in the sky and there are two moons. That is not usually a thing that's happening. What? Yes. How is that possible? It's crazy, right? 
some kind of atmospheric mirroring effect. It's like the Northern Lights. Anyway, two moons brings the truth. Three signifies the ascension. All right, that just all sounds like metaphor again. <laughs> no, no, no. You know that physics equation in my room? Yeah. That's what it is to me. I still haven't finished that. But what I can tell you is that if you and Aaron, you stay one more day, you go fishing in the lake, and you go out to this buoy, you dive straight down, and you grab what you find there. You're gonna have your answer. You know how culty that sounds, Confirm right? Confirm this thing for yourself. And you gotta admit it. There it is. A higher power. A governing force. God. Infinity solved. And wouldn't that be a weight off your shoulders? And if you like having that weight gone, you and Aaron have a home here. Even after the third moon. So, I liked it. I thought it was very inventive indie film, which uh, at times shows the limitations of budgets, but gets points just for ingenuity. And... It's kind of similar to Spring and also indie sci-fi movies like Coherence or maybe even a bit like Primer, where basically it's not clear what genre the film is in immediately. And it's got a very authentic indie movie vibe where you feel they could just make a straight drama about them visiting a camping holiday and it would be the same kind of tone. And all the weird stuff is just like uh, the cherry on the cake. Like the actual tone of the movie is quite well judged. And the performances. The characters are very lived in and authentic and it's very smartly plotted and it pulls off some good rug pulls. That's a good sentence. <laughs> um, in that, well, it's not a spoiler, but when you present like it's a very secretive cult of weird stuff and by the end of the movie, you will have discovered what all the weird stuff is. But the way it passes out that information and keeps you intrigued is very smartly done. And the film gets better as it goes on. And there are a few creaky moments. I mean, that dialogue clip is a sort of... That's the kind of tone of some of the cult stuff. Is like, these people are all a bit weird. And basically, the worst part of the movie is the first five minutes, which kind of is the setup. But once they get to the actual camp, things get kind of stronger and stronger. And the ending has a very satisfying dovetail of plot and story, which is very winning. And my confidence in the film kind of grew as the film went on. I was like, is this like... You know, how long did they spend making this? I was like, oh, okay, they thought this one out. It's all making sense. Uh, I was a fool to doubt the geniuses, which are Benson and Moorhead. <laughs> I would say that they aren't the greatest actors in the world. They kind of convince as brothers because I think they're like lifelong buddies and they have like this easy chemistry. Uh, and I don't know if just knowing they were filmmakers going in colored my judgment slightly, but I would say it's a slightly weak element of the film. And, you know, as like if they just remade this with like really good actors, it, w- it would be better. Yeah. <laughs> But that's true of a lot of indie films, and it feels kind of cruel to criticize them because they wouldn't be able to make the film otherwise. And the cinematography is also a little bit flat. But I would say it's a really cool calling card, and studios are always giving white guys who've made a film for £2, like a million-dollar blockbuster, and they show a lot more promise than most of the people who've got that deal. And it's out on video on demand now, and I think it's well worth a watch. It's a very... It's a good kind of brain 
twister kind of movie kind of gets his hooks in you it's a good brain film good brain film for a smart man like me with a brain i was like this is the stuff for me none of that stupid action movies you're always watching with the people mumbling about american mexico is the same or whatever <laughs> boring films about cults and aliens in the skies and shit maybe i'll test my tiny brain by watching it well, maybe you should. <laughs> but when Zach Graff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, do we have anything to discuss as the... Um, Except how fucking hot it is. It's hot. It's damn hot. <clears throat> What's your favourite film about people being hot? Stray Dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. It's a good film about people who are really hot. Hot Tokyo in the like, 1940s. It's pretty cool. It's very hot in that film. He spends a lot of time sweating and, you know, like I am right now. There might have been a bit of background noise uh, in this recording, for which I apologise, but there's no fucking way I'm closing the window here. Sorry, guys. I'm sacrificing audio quality for personal comfort. Well, I've got Just having another in person inside this room is, like, that's bad enough. Is it really affecting your love life? It's because you're like... You can't come in. <laughs> this, the, the room will become unbearable if there's more than one person in here. There's a beautiful woman throwing herself at you, and you're like, nah. No. Sorry. Sorry, I only make love in front of in, in giant ventilated rooms in front of a huge fan, and I don't have that available, so <laughs> I'm a, I'll have to turn you down. Sorry, do you have a giant ventilated room with you? <laughs> yeah, we can't. Uh, we can't be doing this. Ooh, sorry. <clears throat> See ya. I'll see, you I'll see you. I'll meet you. Let's go for a date in that massive fan shop. The only place I will, I'm willing to be right now. <laughs> oh, thank God for that massive fan shop around the corner. <laughs> a real lifesaver. Um, what's your favorite film about people being hot? Um, you ever seen uh, Proposition? Australia, <laughs> <laughs> Australia, Australia. It's pretty hot oh, country. Wake, wake and fright. It's yeah. all about being hot, mate. How hot are they in that? Well, the main guy, I, you just like, sweat dripping off everybody the whole time. It's really oppressive. It just adds to the sort of tension of the movie. And basically, I think that movie has really coloured my opinion of Australia. Where I'm like, it just seems like some sort of like horrific hellscape where everyone there is a sociopath. I don't want to go there. All the animals are designed to kill you. Uh, Every film turns into a horror film just by virtue of its setting. Yeah. <laughs> They tried to make a lighthearted romantic comedy, but it's in the outback, so yeah, unfortunately well, it's why, a gripping uh, horror film. That's why Baz Luhrmann's Australia is one of the most terrifying things <laughs> I've seen in my life. It's going to be some sort of sweeping, you know... Acclaimed horror, thing, but Australia. It was, just, it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Do you want to see that movie? I just remember being very amused by the trailer where like, um, Nicole Kidman's like, English is like, let me tell you of a place called Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think we should watch it. And I, Baz Luhrmann is like, a... Salt of the Earth, like... I'm the fucking rancher or something. Just, you know, I'll make love to me horses. He's a, yeah, he's the perfect one. He's basically um, the inspiration for Chris Pratt's character in Jurassic World, I think. Yeah. You know, man of the soil. Yeah. So he works with horses instead of dinos. But yeah, let's watch it. Isn't it like three hours long or something? Even better. Even better. Yeah. The, the perfect better. film for a lazy, sunny afternoon. Yeah, yes. Yes. Maybe we should watch The Thing and make ourselves, you know, feel a bit cool, like cool us down. That would be good. Yeah. What's your favourite hot film and cold film? 
listeners. Write in and let us know, Write please. In and let us know. That's a good discussion point for next week. So, uh, sorry that our, our output has been so patchy lately. The cinema has been a little bit, you know, hasn't been that much going on. To Counter programming. Yeah. Because um, everyone's been watching the World Cup and whatnot. And also, the editing has been pretty bad. From You know, I blame myself. Um, but I think we're going to be back on a more regular schedule, are we? Or back are we not? It. Like, what, what's coming out? Like, is there, is there stuff for us to watch? I quite want to see, is it Leave, Leave No Trace, the new Deborah Granick movie with Ben Foster? That looks really good. It's her first fiction film since Winter's Bone. Oh, cool. Which was brilliant. I'm, my message to Deborah Granick, in, ge- in fact, my message to Jennifer Lawrence is like, stop working with these horny dudes who want to bone you and make terrible films. You broke out with Deborah Granick, form a cool female writer director acting partnership like De Niro Scorsese whatever just stick with her stick with her yeah that's I know you listen J-Law so that's my advice who am I to mansplain your career to you but but this man to... is explaining what your career should be but Wonder's Bone is by far and away the best one you've ever made so what about X-Men First Class oh uh, sorry the second best one you've ever made <laughs> uh, okay we'll see that cool Incredibles uh, 2 is coming out as well oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. that. And the one that we're really excited for, Mission Impossible Fallout, oh, coming out July the 25th. Oh, man. Cannot wait. So many fucking ex- vehicle action. So much jumping. Loads of explosions. Tom Cruise injured all the time. <laughs> Severe, uh, receiving physical blows that would just cripple another man uh, every five seconds. That's going to be quite good fun. Until then, listeners, goodbye. Goodbye. With Star Wars Next as well, how's Ryan Johnson as a director? How did he kind of sell this to you and, and get you involved in Star Wars? It's a, you know, great. I, I mean, you know, talk about the story. Yeah. Talk about the character within the story. Talk about how the character tells the story. I think that's the, those are, that's always kind of like um, cool to have these conversations with the director and, uh, and he's... He wants to include my thoughts, and you know, but we're starting, you know. But uh, but but um, we've had a couple conversations, which is great. Cool. Yeah. Is your lightsaber blue or red, or can you not say? Pink. Pink. <laughs> or purple. 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 <laughs> purple. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 